electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but it's to put things like this in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Welcome to the bizarro stock market where the good ones get slaughtered and the bad ones skyrocket. And that's exactly what happened today, where the Dow sold off 121 points, S&P tumbled 1.31%. The Nasdaq nosedived 2.7%. That's a two-day decline of 4% for that index. Because we've reached the point in the business cycle where the companies with the worst numbers suddenly have the best stocks. And that's thanks to J&J, Moderna, and Pfizer. We're on the cusp of a post-COVID boom that now looks to be pushed forward, happening much sooner than expected. That's what today was about. Now, like I've been telling you for weeks, money managers now want the obvious reopening plays, the ones that are in terrible shape but could be huge winners as the world goes back to normal. Airlines, cruise lines, hotels, second-rate retailers. Meanwhile, anything that was like last year is now despised. I mean, hated. When the economy went into lockdown last spring, the essential retailers caught fire because they were the only ones allowed to stay open. How could they not have? So Costco, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, pretty much everything else was forced to shut down, not just mom and pop alphas, but a lot of specialty retailers uh, like, uh, like Michael Storrs, the arts and crafts chain where I always used to take my youngest daughter. Now, though, these tables are turned. The essential retailers have lost their mojo. It's a technical term. While the specialty players have come roaring back. A year ago, the Michaels companies, Michael stores, get this, saw its stock trade down to $1 because who needs art supplies in a pandemic? Today, it got a $22 takeover bid from Apollo. Same story with Kohl's. Last year, nobody wanted it. They got rid of the dividend, took down a big slug of debt, and stock sunk to 10 bucks. Most of the stores shut down. Now, Kohl's is at 58 with the dividend reinstated and an activist hedge fund shaking things up. Okay, insult to injury. Look at Nike, one of the great success stories of 2020. Despite a worldwide pandemic, they made a fortune by selling directly to the consumer over the Internet and doubling down on China, which reopened first. But in 2021, this stock gets no love. You know what is rallying instead? Where they sell the shoes. 
Foot Locker. Yes, the shoe store just reported a terrible, I mean, miserable quarter. Huge miss without much hope for the future. So it rallied two and a quarter percent today. Remember Bed Bath & Beyond? I mean, this Bow Wow traded down to three smackers last spring, and the short sellers cleaned up on it. Kind of like the uh, GameStop. But then an act- See, I know it's GameStop. I did that to irritate you. But then an activist hedge fund pushed out the old management at Bed Bath, bringing in the brilliant Mark Tritton from Target. Now the stock's box, it's up to $29 after a mini GameStop short-busting moment. Briefly took it to the 50s in late January. Wow. Bad. Then there's Royal Caribbean. Okay, this is a cruise line that's not allowed to cruise. The stock bottomed at 19 bucks last year. Management was recently able to sell nearly 17 million shares at 91 bucks. Okay, it's earlier this week, uh, based on the belief that they'd be able to sell again sometime soon, maybe. And when they do, they'll be up against the same easy comparisons because, well, hey, nobody's selling now. It's been a total juggernaut. You'd think buyers would be stuffed to the gills after this rally, right? Would they already have too much Royal Caribbean? No, think again. Everyone who bought on this gigantic offering that they just did at 91 bucks is now up. Yeah, because it jumped to 94 and change. My favorite cruise line, Norwegian, hasn't really had a bad day in months. It's up another 6% today because the vaccine rollout is ahead of schedule. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. I guess the secret to a higher stock price in this market is to do no business at all. Hey, you want really crazy? And I know these things. United Airlines announced today that it's selling up to 37 million shares to help pay for all the new planes it wants to buy. What happens? The stock rallies two and a half percent. I mean, this market will forgive anything from the reopening place. Meanwhile, when a fast growing tech stock like Roku offers one billion dollars of stock as it did today, it gets clobbered immediately losing five percent in one day. That's why my favorite stock right now, right now, right now is the hapless hated Boeing. I think if Boeing actually did a set, did an offering, they offered stock right now, its stock would actually go higher. Now, I don't want to do that, and they don't have to do it. But Wall Street's forgotten about the past. It only cares about the future. A future where surging travel demand forces the airlines to buy lots of new planes. This is going to happen. What else? There's a whole basket of industrials that I can't get enough of. These are the classic smokestack stocks. We're talking General Electric, Emerson, Eaton, Honeywell, Rockwell Automation, Raytheon, Nucor, 3M. Those cannot be denied. They can do anything they want. How long can this go on? That's what you're worried about. That's the big question, because the market has become totally zero sum. Money managers sell last year's winners to raise capital for the reopening names. There simply isn't enough cash to go around to allow both groups to rally at once. As long as interest rates keep rising based on the great reopening and the potential for even more stimulus, and they soared today, we can expect this pattern to continue. Plus, we've got so many high-flying software-as-a-service stocks that help make customers happy while they onboard you and get IT to work, analyze data, and make decisions, obvious sources of funds. And that's why the Nasdaq keeps getting hammered, as it always does when long-term interest rates go higher. So many of the Nasdaq stocks, wow, they trade on the hopes of future earnings. But those hopes are worth less when you've got rising interest rates that signal higher inflation. And that's what's happening. Meanwhile, the rest of the market struggles to make headway because we have too few companies that actually make tangible things. So they keep bidding up those few companies. Here's the thing. This is a pretty textbook rotation, and it does have a limited shelf life. That's the good news for all of you who are thinking, oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. Like I've been saying for weeks, this period reminds me of the late 2015 and early 2016 period when the economy overheated and we threw away the same tech stocks we're throwing away now. It was even more vicious then. The problem back then was that the Fed was actually tightening, so you couldn't really root for the cyclicals that need a strong economy to work because the Fed was trying to slow them down. Eventually, the Fed tightened enough, put the big kibosh in the economy, and it became safe to swap 
yes, into the very stocks you're selling today, the growth stocks. In short, this rotation ends when the economy hits a wall and long-term interest rates stop going higher, or at least take a breather, which could give you a chance if you get one tomorrow, to do a little selling. Because the 2015-2016 scenario that I keep talking about will take a little time to play out. Why? Because the Fed this time has been adamant that it won't be raising short-term rates anytime soon. That takes away from that Janet Yellen raise. Although, of course, people feel Jay Powell will capitulate when we get the big stimulus and get the reopening. Now, once we get a cathartic collapse of epic proportions, as some people think we will happen in a single day, that's what we call a whoosh down instead of this drip, drip, drip. Then you can swap back from the boom and bust stocks to the uh, consistent growers. Let me put it like this. We've never really seen a run like this in travel and leisure or the industrials, particularly travel and leisure, because we've never, of course, been closed down for a full year. But we've absolutely seen sell-offs like this in the high multiple tech stocks quite often. And they tend not to crescendo to a bottom until we have rate hikes, a slowing economy, and some high-profile blow-ups. None of these is likely anytime soon, though, although you can certainly expect some bounces along the way, as rates never go up in a straight line. These companies are doing so well that there will come a time when the selling abates a bit and you get a knee-jerk rebound, as you did several times in late 2015. And before the big whoosh down that you got in February, there were many times to sell. Maybe you avail yourself of them. Do you sell all the things tech and swap into planes, trains, automobiles, industrials? Not to mention the newly red-hot oils. You know I like Chevron and Pioneer every night. They're the only two I'm willing to recommend. Frankly, if you're nimble enough, that's okay. I'm game. You're up a lot. We've been scaling back on the tech names from our travel trust for weeks now, replacing them with industrials, because that's what you do at this point of the cycle. But if you can't be nimble, if you're not confident you can swap back into tech at some lower level that's close to the bottom, then don't try to dump your whole position. Scale back on your favorite tech stocks so you can buy more at lower levels. You'll have room. And this is something I'm going to be telling people at my ActionAlertsPlus.com club call tomorrow at 1130. Scale back. You'll have room. Bottom line, I know it's tough to just stand there and take punches. Isn't it awful? I think these well-run companies that have thrived during the pandemic, they always come back. But their stocks won't start rebounding until the Fed tightens, or the economy slows for some other reason. And that could be a long way away if the economy reopens on schedule and we get a stimulus package. Of course, you know what we have to hear. We have to hear fang dead, fang dead, fang dead. And of course, and what really has to happen, well, Apple. <laughs> In the meantime, we've got a glut of tech stocks and a shortage of cyclicals. Right now, you got to go with a shortage. We have Ari in Illinois. Ari. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, yo. Long-time listener, second-time caller. And I'm calling it right now, Jim. Come on. Kramer Portnoy 2024. The markets would go wild. All right. I'm, am I running for president or vice president? I get the presidential nod? I, I think you should be president in Portnoy. You know, we can't. We can't. Way, we can't. We're both from Pennsylvania. We just won't be able to swing it. We don't have enough votes. I mean, that's the only reason, though. Otherwise, game on. If he's um, willing to take the VP slot, I think he probably wants the better one there. You know? But yeah, what's up? Probably. What's up? Um, last time I called and did I Am Diversified, you said I needed Abbott Labs in my portfolio. I added the stock, and so far I'm up 20%, so thank you. Welcome. Um, last time, or last week, you made a list of stocks that were priced over $500 that were worth owning a fractional share of, and yes. Shopify was left off that list. I know how much you love that stock. Is it worth it to own a fractional share of Shopify? Should I put my money elsewhere? Well, no, no. It I, it, look, it's a great question. I mean, what I feared, Shopify is up so much. I mean, we like Shopify at 120. Now it's 1,220. It's a great company, but I think you can go lower, although then I do want a fractional share. Let this one come in. By the way, it, it is an incredible company, but we're seeing a big sell-off in these names. It can go lower. People like Boeing. That's what they like. Thank you for the nice words. I need to go to 
Brody in Utah. Brody. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Brody. Yeah, Salt Lake City. Come skiing. Okay. Okay. Good time of year. Anyway, my question is about Insego. Um, I've been invested in it in a little over a year now. Um, and I like their position in the 5G market. And I, I like what they're doing. But they got hung uh, on 4G. They had a little too much 4G. Now, I've invited them on. I think they should come on. Why do I think they should come on? Because people have lost a great deal of money. I read my Twitter feed. and People say, Jim, get them back. Now, those are the nice people. The bad people, well, the not as nice people say, Jim, how could you ever liked Insego? I liked the company when they came on. I listen to what companies say. If companies say great things, I have to be skeptical. They had a great thing going 5G, but the 4G kind of caught us everybody by surprise, and that group is really terrible right now. All right, now we are seeing a pretty textbook rotation. It's going to end when the economy hits a wall, long-term interest rates stop going higher, or they at least take a breather and you get a little lift. Mad money tonight. Last night, President Biden said he expects enough COVID vaccines for all adult Americans by the end of May. Could it be a shot in the arm for a company like Emergent Biosolutions, which has been doing not so well? I got the CEO. And Wendy's stock is dropping after earnings today. But can the company cook up a turnaround? Hey, let's talk to the CEO. He's been money. And is American Electric Power still an electric investment? I'm talking to the CEO, and we're going to talk yield and interest rates. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When Johnson Johnson's vaccine got approved the other day, you might have thought that it's good news for the companies that are helping to manufacture the darn thing, right? Like Emergent Biosolutions? Nope. I mean, this contract manufacturer for the biopharma industry, seven COVID-related collaborations. But its stock has been pummeled, even though its company's doing well, because money managers keep dumping the pandemic place so they can swap into the reopening stocks. In fact, Emergent's tumbled more than 25% from its highs just two weeks ago. And while it briefly spiked after the J&J news on Monday, it's given back nearly all of those gains in the past couple days. It's gotten to the point where the stock sells for just 10 times earnings. This is a growth stock. I know the group is going out of style on Wall Street Fashion Show, but I think it's gotten too cheap. So let's check in with Bob Kramer. He's the president and CEO of Emergent Biosolutions. Get a better sense of what all this means for his company and the vaccine rollout. Mr. Kramer, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Good to be with you, Jim. Thank you. All right. So, Bob, first, give us the status of production and how it's possible that you could do 100 million vaccines in a month. I mean, where do you even put the stuff? (laughs) Well, Jim, we've been, as you know, working on this for the last seven months. And given the, the incredible effort of our team over the last seven months to essentially stand up from scratch, uh, an infrastructure to manufacture not one vaccine, J&J, but also AstraZeneca, uh, at the same time has been just remarkable. So we're now at the point where uh, we have this infrastructure in place uh, and we're producing on a daily basis, 24-7, uh, both AZ and the, the J&J products. Uh, and we are operating at a level where uh, our capacity Uh, is well in excess of a billion doses annually uh, for those products. So I feel incredibly proud of the team's effort and be able to stand that infrastructure up quickly and proud to partner with J&J. And and Jim, proud to welcome Merck to the the mix as well. That was part of the announcement the other day uh, by the current administration to bring them into the fold. So we're proud to partner with Merck, proud to partner with J&J and AstraZeneca and Uh, Being in that company is uh, quite an accomplishment for our company. All right, so, Bob, how does it work? Does uh, every hour a new truck of vials come? I mean, people are kind of fascinated about how you can do 100 million of anything in a month. Yeah, so just to be clear, if you look at the four steps, Jim, uh, of the manufacturing and delivery process, uh, and by that I mean the first step is manufacturing the vaccine itself. That's what we're focused on. Second is actually filling the vaccine in its final container, whether it's a pre-filled syringe or a multi-dose vial. Uh, the third step is shipping it. Uh, and the fourth step is actually shot administration. So our focus is on the first. Uh, and because of the large-scale infrastructure we put in place, uh, we were able to take both J&J and AstraZeneca's uh, product, tech transfer it into our facility uh, and be able to scale it at a very significant level to produce that kind of throughput. Now, I know AstraZeneca, there were several articles in the paper saying there's, there's a, a, an abundance of it and it's not getting to people, but that's not in our country. That's over in Europe, correct? That's correct. Don't really understand that, frankly. It just seems to be, but I guess that's administration, right? They're just not administering it correctly. Well, I think, I think it's uh, uh, a very complex uh, issue, Jim. You know, when you look at the regulatory... Right. Uh, requirements of every country to get approval for uh, BLA approval, let alone EUA approval. So that that will come in its time. All right. Now, something caught my eye was something you put out, a press release January 25th with uh, Humanogen. I don't know that company announcing uh, a a therapeutic candidate. Now, I think we all kind of hoping for something therapeutic to match what's going on with the vaccine. Are you getting getting somewhere with this one? Well, we are, Jim, and I'm glad you mentioned that because in addition to the vaccine that we're, work that we're doing with our CDMO business, uh, we're also doing a lot of fill finish, that second part of the equation that I mentioned earlier. We're doing a lot of that with a number of partners. We have nine different uh, CDMO relationships that are COVID-19 related, uh, and independent of that, uh, we're working on our own therapeutic treatment using human plasma Uh, and our polyclonal technology, which we've used to license and get FDA approval on a number of similar treatments. So that product is in a phase three clinical trial. 
today being sponsored by NIH. We expect to get the, the data readout from that in, in a month or so. Uh, and we're excited to see the data. We're already preparing for emergency use authorization filing for that product. And to be clear, that is a treatment. It's uh, intended to be used by severely ill and hospitalized patients. Uh, and then we're also seeking a second indication for that uh, through our work with both Mount Sinai Health Systems in New York and the U.S. Department of Defense for a pre-exposure prophylaxis indication. So we have a, a lot of COVID-19 irons in the fire uh, across vaccines, CDMO, and therapeutics. Uh, and again, Jim, I just can't be more proud of our team for the important work that they're doing. All right, so Bob, I, I imagine what the stock is saying is, look, they've got unbelievable COVID-19 work, but when that runs its course, they're going to revert to a, a much lower uh, a nor, uh, normative earnings. I mean, is that the right way to think about it, or is that the market being too negative? Well, I think that's the, that's the market being a bit conservative. Uh, and, and to be clear, Jim, our contract and development revenue just two years ago was only uh, around $100 million. Uh, in 2020, that increased fourfold to almost $450 million in revenue. Uh, and this year, in 2021, the midpoint of our guidance for that piece of our business is almost $950 million. So it's, uh, it's a very exciting and growing part of our business. Uh, and the question that investors want to know and better understand is what's the sustainability and durability of that business unit revenue after this year, 2021. Uh, and the team is doing a great job uh, in bringing in new business. We started reporting six months ago, new contracts that are under, uh, under ink right now, as well as that are in the opportunity funnel. We started publishing information uh, with the fact that we have almost $700 million worth of uh, opportunity funnel for new contracts, plus $1.35 billion of contracts yet to be realized in terms of revenue. So we're trying to be uh, a bit sensitive right. to information that we know investors and analysts want about the CDMO business unit, but we're converting on a regular basis those opportunities. Uh, and with our growing network of nine different right. manufacturing sites, servicing drug substance, drug product, mm -hmm. as well as development services, we feel really confident in our ability to sustain that level of business going forward well, for the long term. That's what will matter very much, especially with a stock that has come down a great deal, even though business is booming. Bob Kramer, Merchant Biosolutions President and CEO. Always good to see you, sir. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Yeah. Mad Money's back in. After mixed earnings, can Wendy's continue grilling up some fresh gains? The CEO joins Kramer when Mad Money returns. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, what the heck just happened to the stock of Wendy's? I mean, this is a good time for most restaurant stocks, right? They're trading up in anticipation of the big reopening. But Wendy's has been trending lower since late October. Why? Well, some of it's because this is a COVID winner, and we know that those are under pressure. Wendy's was able to adapt quickly to the pandemic, like Domino's Pizza, another one that's getting hammered. Right now, Wall Street only cares about the pure recovery plays. But some of it's because of some interesting execution. I say interesting because we got to learn more about it. This morning, Wendy's reported quarter that looked to me disappointing versus the expectations, gave some tepid guidance, although I think they're just being conservative. In response, the stock shed 5.5 percent, and that could be where the opportunities because it's trading all the way back where it was last May. So could this be worth picking up right here on weakness? Let's find out. Let's take a closer look with the completely bankable Todd Pettigrew. He's the president and CEO of Wendy's. Find out more about the quarter and what's happening. Todd, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Always a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. Okay, so, Todd, you've got a couple of cross currents here. First of all, uh, let's talk about breakfast. Your enthusiasm for breakfast is the highest I've heard. So, obviously, you're seeing some numbers that say, look, maybe this quarter, hard to judge because so many stores had some closings, but that breakfast is very strong. Yeah, the breakfast business is doing quite well in the face of the pandemic, you know, with mobility down, uh, morning routines completely disrupted for us to be able to deliver a 7% sales mix on our breakfast day part is uh, quite remarkable and and super encouraging as we think about the opportunity to grow that to 10% mix by the end of 2022. And what we're seeing is um, a strong repeat. So we got a lot of strong customer satisfaction in our restaurants for our breakfast offering. We're seeing strong repeat behind uh, the, the trial that we're getting. And the opportunity is to continue to drive more trial, drive more awareness. And that's uh, nothing but upside for us into the future, Jim. And obviously the loyalty program you're quite happy with, too. You think that could be big for 2021? Uh, loyalty program clearly will help drive our uh, our digital mix to by up to 10% by the end of this calendar year. We didn't think we'd get to 10% until 2024 pre-pandemic. But what we're doing is driving a lot of active users into our app and people are engaging uh, in the app. We're seeing a lot more mobile ordering um, and and it's really because there's a benefit. They're driving loyalty points, uh, they're earning rewards um, and we're seeing that uh, loyalty program drive a lot of frequency for us. So it's gonna pay some big dividends into the future. Let's talk about the frequency. On the conference call at one point, people were talking about how often people go to Wendy's versus the other guy. And I think that there's a lot of room for upside in how many times people visit the store. Oh, absolutely, Jim. I mean, on, on average, uh, last year we saw a Wendy's consumer come to our restaurants 5.2 times. That was down from 5.5 uh, as, uh, as more and more people are eating at home through the pandemic. Right. You know, what we really expect is, uh, you know, that frequency to increase with breakfast providing more access to the Wendy's brand and the rest of the day starting to come back um, uh, really strong. Once we can get some of our dining rooms open, take a little bit of pressure off of our uh, our, our, our drive through uh, lanes. Uh, we think there's a lot of opportunity to continue to drive some strong growth into uh, into the into the near future. Well, it is a problem, the lanes, because you know that we're Baconator fans. My wife's a big Baconator fan, and we always have to get in the line. And I kind of want to cut the line, but you can't do that. I can't say, hey, I know Todd. That's not the way we play it. But at the same time, what's clear to me is that there are things on your menu that drive new customers. 
hot things. And the jalapeno, is that working? Oh, the jalapeno popper uh, chicken sandwich is, uh, is another great offering. I mean, we revamped our classic chicken sandwich. Uh, our made-to-crave lineup, which is our premium lineup in hamburgers and chicken, was up over 10% in the fourth quarter. Uh, jalapeno popper has just uh, rolled into the restaurant, so we're seeing some, uh, some nice uptake on that uh, business uh, right out of the gate. Um, and variety and, and things that are craveable drive the business. And, you know, we do know that we got to continue to get faster in the drive through lanes. We do know that mobile ordering with things like curbside delivery and mobile grab-and-go can take the pressure off of the, uh, the drive through But we also know post-pandemic, when we can get our dining rooms back open, right, right now we've got 90% of our business actually going through the drive through lanes. And, and that was only 67% of our business pre-pandemic. So as uh, things start to get better on the other side of the pandemic, huge opportunity to take pressure off of uh, the drive through lanes as our dining rooms get back open and people get comfortable again. I think people have to recognize that not all uh, quick service is the same. I regard your dining rooms as, frankly, look, I'll just say it, much better looking than the other guys. So it does drive traffic to have a nice place to sit. Oh, it does. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, um, you know, are out working day in and day out that want to grab lunch uh, and grab a quick lunch and they don't want to have it in their car or driving around. And we got to open those dining rooms back up to give them a great spot to have an enjoyable lunch. But like anything, people are uh, are, are getting cooped up for way too long. People yes. want to get out. People want to gather. People want to meet other folks. And you know, we can provide a, uh, a fast um, a meal, um, you know, very high quality at an affordable price, uh, very convenient. And uh, we can continue to serve that role. And I think we'll come back fast as uh, restrictions continue to loosen and people get more comfortable getting out again. Now, I know some people were saying, well, wait a second, stock's down 5.5 percent. I think you made a statement in the previous quarter when you raised your dividend, dividend, really one of the biggest dividend boosts of 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 this era. Why did you feel so confident to take the number up so big? Yeah, no, our, our, you know, our overall profitability has been really strong and we got a, a lot of free cash flow generation. And we continue to say that we want to have a payout ratio north of 50 percent. And with our strong earnings growth. You know, we felt like we voted to our, uh, our our shareholders to continue to increase the dividend and stay in line with that policy. And you've seen a couple of dividend increases during the course of this year. Um, and we'll stay true to make sure that we continue to first and foremost invest in our business where we got a lot of opportunity, but also return some nice cash to our shareholders that have stuck with us. Well, one last question. I remember when uh, when Popeye started doing well. Uh, before it got its bid. And it was because they started moving into countries that people didn't think that their that their chicken sandwich would necessarily sell. And it turned out to you got a couple of international markets that apparently just are just craving Wendy's and they're doing very well. No, we've got some uh, some big development agreements that have been recently signed. The Philippines is uh, is growing quite nicely. India is uh, really starting to pick up. We opened uh, you know, 15 restaurants at the end of last year with a big development agreement to uh, to continue to expand that into uh into this calendar year. Uh, and then you start looking at some of our core international markets like Canada, you know, we're almost 400 restaurants strong there. We've had eight years of same restaurant sales growth and uh, we've got a lot of excitement with a lot of restaurants that are gonna be built into that pipeline. And then last but not least, our opportunity to get back into uh, into Europe and we're gonna start in the UK. We'll open five company restaurants in the UK this year. Got another 10 that we'll plan for next year. We're recruiting franchisees to come along with us for that journey. Uh, and we'll really create a strong Wendy story in the UK that will allow us to create uh, some opportunities for franchisees to help us grow out Europe over time. Well, I regard you guys as the consistent ones. You've delivered year after year after year, which is what Wendy's has been my favorite in the group. It is always great to see you, Todd Pentagor, president of Wendy's. Thank you for coming on the show. Great to see you always, Jim. Thanks. I appreciate all the support. 
You know, when this stock is down almost every single time it's been a buy, uh, almost immediately, and I don't think this time's going to be any different. Net money's back here for the break. Coming up, power to the people. Can this longtime Kramer fave light up your portfolio with profits? We've got the CEO when Mad Money returns. This week, we're going bargain hunting, the groups that have been kicked to the curb to make room for the reopening stocks. We know the utilities have been one of the worst performing sectors. Wow. Since we started getting good vaccine news in early November. These are textbook slow and steady stocks and don't get much love when the economy is accelerating like it is now, especially when interest rates are going higher. Take American Electric Power, AEP, which has the country's largest power transmission system, lowest big power generation assets. Now, this is with one of my favorite utilities because it's consistent. And I love that in utility, a consistent operator gradually moving away from coal and towards solar, wind, and natural gas. Lately, though, the stock's been steamrolled. It's sinking from $93 in late October to $76 today, mostly because of this rotation we keep talking about, but also because AAP reported a somewhat imperfect quarter last week. At these levels, it sells for 16 times earnings. It sports an almost 4% yield. The utilities are likely to stay out of favor as long as the economy keeps heating up. But could AEP be worth picking up on weakness? Because that's when you're supposed to buy it. All right, let's dig deeper with Nick Akins. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of American Electric Power to get a better sense of his company's prospects. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Great to be with you again. All right, well, look, you're going to tell us the truth, Nick. What the heck happened in Texas? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. I, 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 uh, certainly, uh, anytime you have an extensive weather event like that, uh, you really test the system and test many features of the system that that uh, really don't get much testing most of the time. And that really is focused on uh, the amount of weatherization. Uh, we had generators that were out uh, for a long, for a period of time that moved very quickly in being removed from the system because uh, facilities were getting frozen. Uh, pipeline activity, that was uh, also being uh, frozen. Uh, components were occurring from that perspective. So there was a lot of generation leaving the system, so the operators had no no ability other than just to start shedding load. And um, and that really is a bad outcome from a, from a, any kind of dispatcher perspective. Hate to see that. Um, obviously, it was widespread, uh, and it certainly uh, our hearts go out to uh, to the people who were uh, impacted by that. It shows the resiliency uh, that's needed for the system, though. And when you think about that resiliency, it is around uh, making sure there's enough reserves capacity that that can be brought in, um, and certainly around weatherization, uh, around market structure to ensure that we're we're actually paying for that resiliency and reliability. Those are the kinds of things that the legislature and and the various commissions, the Railroad Commission and the Public Utility Commission of Texas will be looking at. But uh, certainly we learn a lot from these activities. Uh, We had the polar vortex in 2014 in the Midwest and the Northeast. So these kinds of events occur, and we need to make absolutely sure that we focus on the resiliency and be very pragmatic about how we deploy changes to the system. Now, you had one million customers in Texas, and I'm trying to figure out whether the storms revealed a vulnerability that we didn't know about, or is it just one of those situations where it was really, I mean, you can't just build a system for a once in a hundred year storm every single day. Well, that's the challenge, and I think, I think society needs to decide how much are we willing to pay for resiliency 
uh, particularly, you know, once in seven years. I think the last time it happened in Texas in a smaller version was 2011. Certainly we had the polar vortex in 2014. And when you have those kinds of events, uh, it really is determinative of, of how much we really want to pay as a premium uh, to ensure that that reliability exists in concert, in, in concert looking at the risk associated with uh, an outages and what they, uh, what, what's impacted. And, and usually those outages occur in extreme weather conditions where, where you don't want uh, a loss of power, uh, particularly in the dead of winter or the heat right. of summer. So those are the kinds of things we have to look at. Now, one of the things that's hurt the stock is that the economy could be on the verge of a boom. And you say in your conference call that you anticipate improvements across most sectors, uh, with the exception of coal mining, we get that, and that you see a, an evidence of a faster recovery in the industrial sector. So in a lot of ways, what you're seeing is what's happening in the stock market. Well, that's right. We're seeing, we're seeing the economy tick up. Uh, our commercial and industrial have been typically been down for about 2% in the fourth quarter. Our residential is up over 5%. So you're, go- you're starting to see the levelization of that. We expect uh, residential to come down as people return to the work, uh, workplace. They're working from home right now. And then as, as in- we're seeing consistent improvement from an industrial and commercial standpoint. Commercial will probably improve commensurate with uh, vaccines as that gets deployed right. readily. Uh, certainly that will continue to improve. And industrial has been improving. Matter of fact, fourth quarter was the best improvement a quarter we've had in two years. So uh, we're seeing continual progress. Well, that does explain that bond market, doesn't it? There's some things yeah. that you're doing that are creative about people going shopping. And I thought that I spotted one of our person, people on our staff. Clothing retailer signs 13-year renewable energy supply deal with AEP Energy, Abercrombie & Fitch. How do people get those kinds of deals? They go to your company and say, listen, we got to get renewable? That's right. And you're seeing more large customers come to the utilities because obviously we're very focused on making sure we can move to a clean energy economy, but doing it in a way that's commensurate with what our customers expect. And they, they want different things. I mean, some want renewables, some want microgrids, some want other alternatives, and we have to be responsive to that. So you're seeing more of that occur uh, with industrial and commercial customers, and we, we've seen that time and time again across our territory. All right. Now, our former president loved coal. What would have happened had you gone all in coal and said, you know what, we're going to extend the life of every coal plant and build new coal plants. And then President Biden comes in. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been around for 115 years, so we manage between administration and administration as they, as they change. And certainly the focus on uh, the energy has certainly changed with the change administration here. We, we, would, we have to be really careful. I, th- I think we have to focus on a diverse mix going forward and making sure that we're pragmatically changing that, moving to a clean energy economy as quickly as we can, but do it in a way that keep the system resilient and reliable for customers to actually receive power and energy. Because obviously, if you don't receive the power and energy, markets don't matter much. And, and there's a lot that doesn't matter. So we want to make absolutely sure we do it in that fashion. So um, obviously, if we had been all in on coal, we would have been dealing with more stranded investment and those kinds of right. things. We have to be really careful about those kinds of long-term investments, but and we do, have been. You do have to be all in on electric vehicles, don't you? Have to try to yep. make that work. 
Yeah, I th I, certainly electric vehicles is an example of further electrification of the economy. So as electric vehicles continue to come on, we have to make sure that there is infrastructure to support it, not only in the grid, but also charging stations. Matter of fact, we just announced a collaboration with multiple utilities to provide an electric vehicle corridor through the eastern seaboard on down through the southeast and midwest part of the country uh, so that we can uh, ensure that we're coordinating with one another to, uh, so that you take away the range anxiety right. of someone that's traveling. Yeah, I thought that was really great. That's a big thing because people feel good about going from San Francisco to, to Los Angeles. They don't feel so good uh, where you are, but maybe you're going to change that. I think it makes a lot That's of right. sense. Nick Akins, President, Chairman, CEO of America Electric Power, doing so many things right. But remember, the bond market can play a vicious role, as we know, Nick, in terms of your stock price. Thank you, Jim. Yep. He can control and his company can control the dividend. And I think that those of you who are hiding in treasuries or CDs, 4% for the most consistent utility we follow, not so bad. Man, money's back in, right? Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! Some of the light round questions are about rock for the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Some of the light round questions. Let's start with Kurt in Tennessee. Kurt! Mr. Kramer, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kurt. How about you? Good. The ticker symbol is NVTA. I want your opinion on it, and where do you think it's going? Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's in Vite or Vite, so I've got to tell you, therefore I'm going to have to say i got to do more work on it. I have seen this stock be talked about endlessly, okay, endlessly, and it got clobbered today. Let me come back rather than just opine on something that I can't even pronounce correctly. There you go. Let's go to Al in Illinois. Al. That's Philadelphia. Al. Hey, Jim, this is Big Al from Chicago. Your show is great. Oh, thank you. about MCD, McDonald's. You've been talking about post-COVID stocks and industries like airlines, cruise lines, Disney, theme park, and others. When I go by McDonald's and drive through it, I see that they're doing really, really great. McDonald's feeds like 29 million people per day in the United States. Look, look, I mean, look, here's the problem with McDonald's. They, they have been inconsistent of late, okay? And the inconsistency is driving people crazy. It yields 25 when it gets to 3%. Even if it's inconsistent, I am going to say, bye, bye, bye. now I want to go to Joe in Louisiana. Joe! Hey, Joe. Thanks, uh, thanks Jim. Thanks for all sure, your Sure, man. What's going on? I own some Facebook. I already got back my cost basis as well as locking up some property. Is Facebook still a keeper, or should I cash it out and buy some Twitter? Look, my travel trust owns it because it, it is so. We did a lot of selling earlier, uh, but it is what we have left. We don't want to sell. Why do we want to sell? Because it's incredibly cheap. It can the stock get cheaper? Of course it can. Is it an inexpensive on its growth rate? Yes, it is. I'm taking another. I'm going to go to Maddie in Illinois, Matthew. Hey, Jim, I have a sleeper stock here. They beat earnings last three quarters. They restructured their business model, have $800 million cash, and I'm up over 160%. And I'm wondering if you think this is a reopened stock. My stock is Groupon. Yes, it is. And you know what? I saw it the other day. It seemed it was like up 6 bucks the other day, and then it was up 4 bucks. 
And yes, it's a reopening stock. It's a local reopening stock, and there are not that many of those, and it is one of them that works. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You don't want to be the last soldier to die in the war, Jim. That general admonition is from my doctor. He's been on the front lines fighting against COVID-19 for more than a year. And it really hit home for me post my Moderna shots. And I wish more people would take this advice seriously. Yet even as the federal government tries to get everyone vaccinated, we have a series of governors who are so eager to get back to normal, they're jumping the gun and declaring their states wide open for business, even though it's too soon. For example, Texas just racked up 33,000 new cases of COVID in the past week. Doesn't seem to bother Governor Greg Abbott, though, who just announced that the state's dropping all those silly masks and social distancing mandates because it's time to roll up your sleeves, get back to work. Putting aside that 44,000 Texans have died from COVID, I need you to understand the complete insanity of these governors pushing for their people to be the last ones killed in the war against COVID. Here we finally at last have a national effort to beat the virus. And the White House is putting us on war footing. Defense Department working together with Johnson & Johnson and Merck. Unheard of to get everyone vaccinated by June. Apparently that's not fast enough for Governor Abbott, so we figure, why wait? I hear these things and it does drive me nuts. I and mean, we have these brilliant scientists all rowing in the same direction. We're going to get all the vaccines we need. The only bottleneck is figuring out how to distribute them. Although we're already doing much better than, with that now. Once everyone gets the jab, this pandemic's going to be over. But as Alex Gorski, the CEO of J&J, told us last night, we still need to be vigilant while we wait for that to happen. Why don't we listen to him? We don't want another big outbreak right as we're about to cross the finish line. Why would Gorski say that? I mean, other than because he's right. Unfortunately, our political system just isn't built to handle this kind of thing. We've got 50 different state governments, and some of them don't seem to care much about the safety of their citizens when it comes to getting more business done. You might think the governors who are most eager to reopen would also be super savvy about getting people vaccinated, right? But of course, it's the opposite. Texas is one of the worst vaccine rollouts in America. Only 7% of the state is vaccinated. It seems a little premature to declare victory, if you ask me. Now, I don't want to mess with Texas until that number's higher. They should change the state motto to that terrific line from Blood Simple. Down here, you're on your own. Look, I don't want to pick one in this one state, even if its governor seems to be going out of his way to court danger. There are other states that are too eager to open the floodgates, and to them I'm saying the same thing. We're so close to beating this thing. What's the point of putting your people at risk in the name of more commerce? This is not like last year when there was no end in sight. We just need to tough it out for 10 more weeks. Look, somebody has to be the last person to die from this scourge. I understand that. But right now we do have a choice. We can hold the death toll down by being patient. Or we can cause one last outbreak because we just wanted this experience to be over, even if that means putting people at risk. We are so close to beating this thing. Let's cross the finish line together, get enough people vaccinated, then we go back to normal without throwing anybody to the COVID wolves. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The News with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. 
See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 